Okay. So before we begin, just a scheduling note, some of you may have seen from the email. So this is our last class before we take a little break for the summer. Um, and I think we're resuming the week of August 22nd, God willing. So the Wednesday, I guess, would be August 25th. Um, so that's the that's the plan. And we'll see. I, I, I'm thinking maybe we'll just do like a couple more classes before the holidays and then probably, you know, start something else after after the holidays, um, either continuing on Zoom, in person, we'll have to still see, you know, where we're at and what's available and what our options are. But for now, I think that will be the plan. We'll keep, we'll, we'll continue this class, most likely a couple more classes before the holidays and then, and then, uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll see from there. Okay, so what I wanna do tonight is discuss the next blessing in the Shemang Asri in the Amidah, which is number 11, um, and then move on to a mostly unrelated idea about prayer in general, a certain type of prayer, and close with the story, which is only somewhat related, but a good way to go into the, into, into the break. So, so the, the blessing that we're coming to now, it, it's a little bit of a tricky one to relate to. It, uh, it talks about the restoration of the justice system of that of, of, of old, of the Sanhedrin following Torah law. So uh, if we look on the source sheet, I'll just go right to the, you know, re we'll read it through just to start. I'll actually drop the source sheet also into the chat in case somebody doesn't have it. Okay. And, uh, and this blessing reads like this: Hashiva Shoftenu Kivari Shona, restore our judges as literally here it says as before, but Kivari Shona like at first. The um, and our Yoatzim, our advisors, our counselors, Kivatachila like at the beginning. Vehaser Mimenu and remove from us Yagon Vaanacha, sorrow or sadness and Anacha and sighing or groaning. And reign over us, you Hashem, alone. With kindness and compassion. And make us righteous with justice. Or vindicate us with justice. And then we close the blessing. Blessed are you, Hashem. King, lover of righteousness. Tzedakah, righteousness, and mishpat, and justice. So this, this blessing actually begins with talking about judges and then turns towards our relationship with God and asks us that God judge us in a certain, in a certain way, rule over us with kindness, and judge us with righteousness. So I'll have to explore what, what this blessing is getting at. Now, the previous blessing that we discussed last week was the blessing of the ingathering of the exiles. So there we asked God to bring everyone together. We talked a lot about Mashiach last week, just to get sort of the general sense of what that is. And the, these blessings are all within that process of, of, the, of, of bringing about the Messianic era, the ingathering of the exiles, the return of the, of the, the court system, um, and then the rebuilding of Jerusalem will be another one and, and other things that relate to that 
the exact order of the blessings, how they, you know, if they fit into exactly how things are going to, are supposed to play out, I'm not sure. I would imagine that they should. Um, and where exactly Mashiach shows up also, I would think so at, at the beginning, but like, you know, again, I don't, we don't know so much about exactly what's going to happen. Like we said last week, Maimonides, the Rambam says, you know, we don't, we can't know exactly, but we have a, a general idea. So the previous blessing talked about gathering the Jewish people together. Um, and that includes everyone, you know, even people that are, seem, seem totally unconnected and lost. And now we ask God to provide us with, to return to us judges and counselors. And this is talking about leadership. Provide us with the leadership that can lead the Jewish people in, in, in the right direction of teshuva, of repentance, of returning to God. So part of this process would be for the Jewish people to all return to God. And, uh, and we need leadership to do that. Again, I, like I say, I'm not sure if, if this is before Mashiach shows up or after. Um, and even though he's there, we still need leaders under him. So unclear exactly to me, but we are asking for, 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 for leaders here. So there's different, different qualities of, of leadership. One of them that's extremely important is that a leader can create sort of self-starters within his or her followers. So you may remember when the Jewish people are at Mount Sinai and they're waiting, Moshe, Moses goes up to receive the luchos, the tablets from God, and he's not coming down and they're, you know, they're calculating and they think he should be back. They turn to, to Moshe's brother, Aharon, Aaron, and they, they say, we need a leader who can walk before us. And that's how they envisioned a leader, someone to walk before them, to, to, to do what they can't do. And, uh, you know, Moshe seemed to have abandoned them. He wasn't coming back. It was past the time that he was expected. And they panicked and they felt helpless without that, that leader there, without somebody to, to act on their behalf. Um, that concept is some, of a leader is someone that sort of does it for you. But when Moshe is nearing his death and he asks God for, you know, to assign his, his replacement, which will be Yehoshua, Joshua. So he doesn't just say he will lead them. He doesn't just say the one who will go before them. He says the one who will go out before them, who would bring them out and bring them in. So in other words, they're coming with me. They're coming with him. He's taking the people with him. And, uh, and that, that's to express that, uh, that he's going he's gonna to bring them along with him. He's going to develop them and, and not just act on their behalf, but be someone that is a role model, someone they can emulate, someone who can guide and teach them and show them how to accomplish on their own. And that's, that's what's needed. A, a very important facet of leadership is to, 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 to show, show the ways that people can, can then perform on their own. There's an interesting passage in the Gemara that is related to tefillah, certainly, to, to prayer. Talks about that when a family member is sick, so the Gemara says, the Talmud says, one should go to a sage to ask for mercy. 
So if, the, if somebody has a sick person in their home, go to, uh, you know, go to one of the great sages, one of the great rabbis to have him pray on your behalf. That's the simple reading of the Gemara. But one of the early, early commentators, the Me'iri, Rabbi Menachem Me'iri, a medieval commentator, has a totally different view of this passage. He says it's not just, you don't just, you're not just going to the sage so that he can pray on your behalf. You're going to the sage to watch him pray on your behalf so that then you'll be able to pray on your own behalf. You'll be able to pray for the sick person in your home. And that's this idea of leadership, that it's not simply doing it for, you know, doing it for the, for the followers, doing it for the people, but actually showing them the way, showing how they can do it themselves. So when, we, when, we're, when we're praying for, for leadership, so we want to consider, you know, certainly there's more qualities than this, but that the, the, you know, which qualities we would look for. And one of them is someone who can inspire me, someone who can, who can show me the way that I can then go on my own. Now, the actual language of the blessing is based on a verse in Yeshaya, in Isaiah. And that comes from, that's on the source sheet number one. It says there, this is a prophecy about the ultimate redemption. And it says, I will restore your judges as at first and your counselors as in the beginning. Afterwards, you shall be called a city of righteousness, a faithful city. In Hebrew, it, say, it reads, the Ashiva Shoftayach Kivarishona, I will restore your judges as at first, the Yo Atsayach Kivatachila, and your counselors as at the beginning. Acharechein, after that, Yikarelach, they'll call you, meaning the city of Jerusalem, Ir Hatzedek, the city of righteousness, Kiryane Amana, and a faithful city. So, so the, 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 the men of the great assembly, the Anshi Knesses Hagadola, who wrote the Shmona Esrei, who composed the language of the Amida, they're borrowing the language from this verse in Yeshaya, in Isaiah. And a good way to understand what the verse, what, what, the, what the blessing means is actually to go back and look at the verse. And what do the commentators say about this verse in Yeshaya, in Isaiah, if we really want to understand it. So, so one of the great commentators on prophets is the Malbim. And the Malbim tells us that the, there's two two phrases going on here. There's restore our judges as before and our counselors as at first. Counselors from the word yo it's like Eitsa, which is the, those who advise, really advisors, they counsel. So, so what are these two categories? There's the judges and the counselors. So the Malbim explains that the judges are dealing with the interpersonal, right? So a person has, um, wants to, to know how to deal with, their, with, with, with another person, um, an interpersonal relationship. What is the proper way to interact with others? What is the way to resolve a dispute with another person? So they go to the shofet, they go to the judge. As opposed to the yoates, the advisors here, the Malbim explains, that's talking about those who are advising in our relationship with God and the more, um, not the interpersonal, but rather what we call being Adam Lamakom, between man and God, between us and God. And those are the, the, the Yoatzim, the advisors. 
Now you'll note that there's a slightly different terminology here. It doesn't say restore our judges as before and our counselors as before. It says restore our judges as before and our counselors as at first. Now those are just English translations, but in the Hebrew, they're different words. It says the judges kivarishona, like at first, and it says um, our, our advisors kivat like at the beginning. So the truth is that the translation that I gave here maybe is not the best translation because I didn't check it before I, I copy and pasted it in. So because it because kivarishona really means the first. That really means first. Rishon sheni. Rishon is first. Sheni is second. So that should really be translated as at first. And tehila really means the beginning. So the better translation is actually restore our judges as at first and our counselors as at the beginning. Now you'll say, okay, what's the difference? Does it really make a difference? So, so the difference actually is, according to the Malbim, is that um, the, the, the word first, Rishon, implies that there's second, right? There's something that came after. As opposed to the, the beginning, there isn't necessarily something that, that follows that, that's equatable. And the, the idea is that the word judge can be applied to whether someone is a good judge or a bad judge, a proper judge, an improper judge. They're still a judge. They're just acting as a judge. The word yoetz, an advisor in, in the Hebrew, is specifically someone who's giving good advice. If they are giving bad advice, then they are not a yoetz anymore. There's a different word to describe them. They, they're tending you in the wrong direction. A, a, an advisor, the Hebrew yoetz, is specifically someone who give, who's giving good advice. So, so therefore, the difference is that the, you can have judges followed by other kinds of judges. You can have, restore our good judges as they were at first, because at second, they were followed by bad judges. Over, 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 over our history, as opposed to the, the advisors, well, by definition, it means good advisors. So you can't have, you know, give us back to the good advisors, which were followed by good advisors, because good advisors can only be followed by good advisors. By definition, the word yoates means a good advisor. So, so it's a linguistic point that, uh, that, we're, that we're just bringing out that we're praying that God restore the judges as, as, as at first, because at second, there have been subsequently bad judges. And, uh, but the, the, the good advisors, we just use the word um, at, at the beginning because that's continuous. There, there, there may have been bad advisors that followed, but they're not called yoatsim. Okay, that's a sort of a linguistic point. Now, now what does, what does the what are you, exactly is it that we're we're asking for here? What are we what are we praying for when we ask you know let the the judges return? So we're praying for the return of what we call the Sanhedrin, the the high court of uh, of of the Jewish people, which was based in the in in the temple area, had its own little spot off off of the temple, and was very much you know intertwined church and state right the 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 lawgivers were very much uh, or the the law interpreters were were very much connected to the uh, to right next to the to the temple to the base on mikdash and in Judaism really everything is 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 intertwined the the, the civil law 
and the and the ritual law, it, it all overlaps. There's no uh, there's no separation. The, the the there's there's a mitzvah to you know to observe Shabbat Shabbos. There's a mitzvah to 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 not steal, right? And and those are part of the same the same Torah. There's no there's no difference in those two mitzvahs. There's no separation, and and you that that's sort of brought out by the the location of the of the Sanhedrin. And in truth, the truth is that the Sanhedrin is not just ruling on civil law; they're also ruling on on all areas of Jewish law, and uh, you know, on laws of Shabbos, laws of anything, because there's no there's no separation. And uh, and and although it's sometimes hard for us to to relate to it because we don't have it nowadays. But we understand that this is God's Torah, you know. This is God's will manifest. the The laws in the Torah and the way that they are enforced, as dictated by the Torah, is is the ideal. And uh, and and we pray for for a society where that is, where that where such such a system is back in place. And that's where uh, the you know the, the the ideal Torah society can function. As uh, as dictated by God, and uh, and and when we have such a such a society, such a system in place, then we one advantage that the commentators note is that we when we're carrying out earthly um, judgment, whatever the Torah dictates for certain actions, so then that that saves us from heavenly judgment. If there's no earthly judgment for a person, then, then if we don't take care of, of what we're supposed to take care of, because we can't, because we don't have the right system in place, um, then, then it, God, God takes care of it. And uh, we always rather um, that the, the judgment take place on, on earth rather than in the next world, which is so much more important and, and, and which is eternal. Um, additionally, the, the Sanhedrin is responsible for officially anointing or, or at least uh, giving their blessing for, for the king. So we talked about Mashiach last week. Mashiach is an anointed one. He's a king. In order for someone to be properly anointed as king of Israel, we need a Sanhedrin in place. We need the high court in place. So that's actually intertwined with that, that it's essential in order to actually, now Mashiach may be able to arrive before the Sanhedrin's in place, but he can't be, I guess, officially, um, officially anointed as king without, but uh, a Sanhedrin and without a, a navi, also a prophet, um, and uh, that's that's an additional reason. Now, another another point is that you can imagine, with if there's an ingathering of the exiles and people coming from all over with different customs and different uh, opinions, different approaches to Judaism. So we need a central authority who's going to determine how, how, how are we going to continue? How are we going to conduct ourselves? So, so we'll need a, a Sanhedrin, a high court in, uh, in Jerusalem in order, to, in order to make those calls. So, so that's part, all, all intertwined. Again, this is part of the process of, of the ultimate redemption and, and bringing about a messianic era is having the the Sanhedrin in place so that all the, all the different components can be taken care of. 
Now we continue in the blessing and we say, that God should remove sorrow and sighing from us. And again, this comes from a verse in Isaiah and Yeshaya, a little bit later, it's source number two here, chapter 35. The redeemed of Zion shall return. They shall come to Zion with song, with joy of days of yore shall be upon their heads. They shall achieve gladness and joy and sadness and sighing shall flee. So in the Hebrew, those last words are and those are the words that we use here. Um, we don't use the word nasu, which means flee, but we use remove, that God should remove sadness and, uh, and sighing or sorrow and sighing. And the, the idea here is what are these two things? What's, what's yagon, sorrow, and what's sighing? So one is something that's being expressed, right? Sighing is something that's being expressed while sorrow could be internal without, without it being expressed. So, so yagon, the sorrow is, is grief that one carries inside. And the anacha, the sighing, is the sighing or moaning when, when that grief can no longer be contained. So, so yagon, the, the sorrow, that's, that results from, again, there's many different ways to explain this probably, but one, under, one way to explain it is that the, 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 in, the internal um, struggle, the internal grief, it, it can result from being in a situation where we don't, we don't have good advice. Um, we, it, it results from, I guess, not having, not having good guidance in our lives. We end up with internal internal um, grief. And that we relate, I guess, to the, to the counselors, the yoatsenu, the, the advisors. So by, by, by returning our advisors, this will remove for us that internal grief. And we also pray here, also the, the, the outer expression is, is where you have a, a, a negative situation that can't be resolved because we don't have the, the right justice system in place to resolve these types of situations, and so that that's where where we we sigh and we have we 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 have a we express we can't contain that uh, that that frustration or just have no way to deal with it because we don't have the the justice system in place. So that could relate back to the the the, the request the prayer that we you restore our judges. Alternatively, um, the we, the first thing listed here is judges. So, so judges establish the law, right? They, they set the law, again, based on the Torah, based on interpreting the Torah, and that's binding on everyone equally. That's the general principles laid out. Now, a yoates, an advisor, a counselor, can advise each individual how to apply the law to their specific situation because you know, that's many things are, are, are situational. There's the general halachos, there's the general laws, and then, but each individual, it can apply to differently. And it's not to say that we, that we, that any, that there's any halachos that, that are, you know, that, that don't count, but there's situations where one can be more lenient, more strict, depending on, uh, on the situation. So, so the, the, the law itself, um, that removes general grief 
because if there's no law, if, you have a, you, if there's a lawless environment, so then there's, there's grief. And, uh, but, and the, the, but the individual Eitzah, the individual advisors, so that can remove the personal sighing of each individual. So the connection can be, according to this, is we pray, return our judges, and, and, and you know, so that we have a set law system back in place where there, and, and which removes lawlessness, which removes the general sense of grief. That's the yagon, the general sorrow. And then there's the, also the advisors, those who can give personal advice and that removes the individual sighing, the individual difficulties, um, which, uh, which would prevail without any, without any yoatzim, without those, those advisors in place. And then we say, So here we turn sort of away from talking about the judges. And now we're speaking about, about returning to God and saying, you, God, should rule over us alone with kindness and compassion. So the connection, I think, is that now that we have described the, you know, sort of the ideal situation, which is we have a system of, 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 of governance. We have, we have a Sanhedrin in place where every, everything will be conducted based on Torah, which is God's will. So there, you know, that is the ultimate crowning of God. That's the ultimate declaration of our, our um, submitting ourselves to God's will. And so we pray, let, let your, your system of, of laws, God, your Torah guide our lives. Let our judges return. And then, then, then you'll rule over us alone where we don't have any other systems you know, manly systems, um, man-made systems in place, it will all be coming from, from you. But we pray that at the same time that God should, should, should choose to, to rule over us with kindness and compassion. And, uh, and here, this is, this is where, to me, I, I wasn't sure how to connect this to, the, to that idea, as a, in a general sense, so we, some of the commentaries say that, you know, God, God can, can establish his rule over us in, in one of two ways, right? Either, either, you know, if people fail to recognize God, so sometimes he'll send a reminder, right? If people aren't, aren't, aren't recognizing him, so he, he may send a reminder and it may be an uncomfortable reminder. But if we are recognizing him on our own and we are, I guess it does connect. If we're recognizing him on our own and uh, we're setting up a system where we're devoted to, to God's law and God's will. So then we can say, now God, you can rule over us with kindness and compassion. You won't, there won't be any need for you to remind us of uh, that, that you're in charge because we'll, we'll be living a life that recognizes and acknowledges you know, at, at all times the, the law and the will of, of God. So at that point, we say to God now, if once we've, we've returned our, our, our law system to, to, the, to, to your system, to your Torah system, so then you can now rule over us with, with kindness and compassion. There's no need for, 
for reminding us in, in any uncomfortable ways of your of how you you in fact rule the world. And uh, and then we say bitzadikeno ba mishpat. And uh, and make us righteous with justice or vindicate us with justice. Now this seems to be a little bit of a contradiction because um, you know strict justice. You can't say please vindicate me with strict justice. If if if, if strict justice says if if one is deserving of something, then they get it. If they're not deserving, then they don't get it. So so you know righteousness to daka or vindication implies that we're saying, you know, basically uh, have, have a little mercy, you know, sort of judge us, judge us with mercy, with, with justice and mercy. But, but I don't know if those two things really can mix because, because again, strict justice means whatever, whatever the law is, the law is. Whatever, whatever we are deserving of, we're deserving of. So, so what can it mean, tzadikeinu mishpat, make us righteous or vindicate us with justice? So Reb Chaim Friedlander explains that the that there's a difference in general. He quotes again from the Malbim. There's a difference in general between tzedek, which is like righteousness, where the word tzedakah comes from, and mishpat, which is justice. You know, sometimes tzedek is also a form of justice. Um, he says that mishpat is strict justice. That is always going exactly according to the letter of the law, not really taking into account other um, maybe situational um, impetuses, situational um, causes, causations. So it's, I'm not, I don't want to know why, why you did it, you know, what, what kind of nature or nurture brought this about, you know, it's, you did this, this is what you get. That's, that's called strict justice. That's mishpat. In the, in, in the expression of the sages, the Talmud, they use an expression that the, 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 the justice will drill through the mountain. It goes right through. It, you know, it, it doesn't go around. It just goes, goes right through without, without taking into account any, any, uh, any other information. That's strict, strict justice. Um, tzedek, is another form of justice, but it's it's righteousness. It's it's uh, it, it it veers off of strict justice, and that is that it takes into account all of the you know other it takes other information, side information into account, circum circumstances, and uh, like I said, you know nature or nurture, what what led to this, and it takes it takes all of the what what were the causes of of, of the behavior. And it weighs it weighs the situation according to according to that, and and that way you can still have justice, but it's a it's it's justice that's not strict justice. There's there's sort of a, a little bit of mercy mixed in there, and uh, and you know even though somebody the person did the wrong thing, but there's a mixture that there's still. There's 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 other things to take into account, and uh, and that's that's what's being expressed over here. We're asking God to sadekeno ba mishpat to make us righteous or to vindicate us with justice, which is to judge us in this in this fashion of you know 
understanding, you know, take not just engaging in strict justice, but but taking into account all, all other potential causes and, and, and reasons for, for our behavior. And, uh, and we close the blessing by expressing that blessed are you, you are the source of all blessing, Hashem, Melech, the king who loves righteousness and justice. So this seems to actually cut back to both parts of the blessing. The beginning of the blessing was, you know, return our judges. So God, you love, you love to have justice in place, your justice, your, your laws. So return that. That's how we started the blessing. It also relates to, the, to how we close this blessing, that, uh, that we, we say to God, make us righteous with justice, that those are the words we're saying here. You know, God who loves tzedakah, this righteousness and, and justice. And, uh, and the, the deeper meaning of what may be going on over here is that in general, right, we've spoken in the past, you know, God created the world in order to to benefit us, to give us pleasure, to give us an opportunity to earn ourselves the 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 chance to experience God's pleasure, to the, the pleasure of basking in, in, in God's essence and uh, or God's presence, I should say, you know, but but he didn't want to give it to us for free because if if it's gonna be the highest level of pleasure, it has to be something that's earned. So so that's that's necessary for us to have the highest level of pleasure. Well, if that's the case, then the highest, highest level of pleasure would be if God treats us with strict justice, right? As soon as there's, there's, there's mercy mixed in, then we're no longer getting the high, we, won't, we will no longer be experiencing the highest level of pleasure when, we, when our souls pass on to God, because there's a little bit of mercy. There's a little bit of, 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 of something that's, that wasn't properly earned. So in a certain sense, the ideal is, is strict justice. On the other hand, we can't really abide by that. We can't, you know, we, we wouldn't be able to, to make it like that. So God mixes in mercy at the same time. So, so God loves justice because that's the highest, the highest level, but he also loves, you know, giving us our best chance, right? So so he loves also mixing in mixing in tzedakah, mixing in this 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 righteous mercy, this righteous justice, this this mercy at the same time. Now, interestingly, in the in the ten days of repentance between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, this blessing is is tweaked a little bit, and we conclude it instead of saying the God who loves righteousness and justice, we just say God who is just, Hamelech Hamishpat, the the God who is just. And we focus just on the justice, the strict justice. And, uh, and, and Rav Schwab explains, Rabbi Shimon Schwab, that the idea is that if, if our conception of, 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 of heavenly justice is you know, strict justice, but with a mix of mercy, so then a, a person can become a little complacent and say, oh, God will, you know, God will have mercy. It doesn't really matter what I do, right? So, so on, in, in the 10 days of repentance, we remind ourselves that the ideal is is strict justice. The ideal is for to 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 to, to conduct ourselves in a way that we could even stand before God as a judge in the in you know as in in, in in as a strict judge. That would be the ideal. That's that's how we should want to conduct ourselves. 
but we realize we, we can't always do that. And, uh, and, and still God, God who loves both strict justice, but also tzedakah mishpat, also to judge us with righteousness and to sort of find, find rationale, find justification for our actions in order to treat us with a little bit of mercy. So that's this blessing where we pray for the restoration of judges, the restoration of the Sanhedrin. It's another step in the process of the Mashiach. And uh, as I said, I think in a certain sense, it's a little bit harder for, to, to relate to than some of the more general concepts, you know, in gathering of the exiles, building of Jerusalem, um, but it's there and we need, to, uh, we need to work on understanding this also. Yeah, Miriam, you wanna just unmute first. Um, well, I'm sort of saying, I don't know if it's in the prayer, but I'm sort of saying, usually we think like if a, right, a righteous person like doesn't need to be judged because he's righteous because he's not doing anything wrong. And here it's sort of like you can find your, you know, you think if you did something wrong, you've blown it. And that's the end of your career is being righteous. But here it sounds like, you know, these you can become come back to the level of righteous with God's in doing something in your life. So that's sort of a positive view. Right. Yeah. I mean, certainly we, you know, we have a concept of teshuva, of, 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 of repentance. And certainly, you know, we're never, we're never written off. And, um, and, but, but, but everybody gets judged, you know, everybody, God, God watches every person and judges them again, either on Rosh Hashanah or every day of the year, you know, but different, different ways it's expressed in the Talmud. But yeah, we're certainly under the eye of God and, and we are being, being judged on our actions and whether one is righteous or not, you know, they, they were still judged on that. Right. So, so, so everybody, everybody's actions are, are judged. And what we're, I guess, saying now is that in this blessing at the end here is that God actually, we, we're asking God to, to judge us favorably somewhat, to lean towards, towards a favorable judgment, to take into account all of the, all the things that, that can contribute to, to our conduct when it's a little bit off, offline. At the same time, like I said, we acknowledge in the, in the 10 days of repentance in the Osiris Yimei Tshuva that uh, we realize we ultimately the, the highest level is to be able to be in line completely and be judged with strict justice, but we absolutely deserve without any excuses and any rationalizations if we can, but it, most people, you know, are going are gonna to err at some point and that's, and, and still God judges favorably. Okay, so to close out here, we're going to turn our attention to something basically unrelated. Um, and we're going to go back to an idea that I've mentioned in the past, which is that the sages teach us that there are 10 different types of prayer that you can find throughout the Torah. Other midr midrashim say there's 13. And Rabbi Shimshon Pincus has a work that goes through each of these types of prayer and explains what they, what they are. And the, the one that I wanna talk about now is called Na'aka. So in the verse that I quote on, in source number three, it says, God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abram, with Isaac and with Jacob. This is 
just before we basically meet, I mean, we've met Moshe, we've met Moses, but he hasn't yet been assigned his task as leader of the Jewish people. Just before that, it says in the Torah that the, the work in Egypt became more difficult, the people cried out, and then you have this verse, God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So, so the Midrash, um, the, the Midrash says this is a type of prayer, groaning. Um, and want to focus on this for, for a minute or for a few minutes. It doesn't say even here that they groaned to God, interestingly. It doesn't say they, they, they cried out to God. It says he heard their, their groaning in general. They were in, uh, in difficult straits. Now, it could be in the previous verse it's, it mentions that they cried out to God, if I recall correctly, but, but, um, but here it doesn't express that. It just says, that, that God heard their, heard their groaning. And, and it's really an expression of pain. Someone is in a difficult situation, then naturally the way that we are designed is that we, we cry out in some way, not necessarily to God even, but just we cry out, we, we groan, we, we sigh, we, we cry. And that's how we respond to, to pain or to suffering or to difficult situations. And that's a, that's, that's a natural human tendency. Um, and we do that whether there's someone that we're, that someone to cry out to or not. We could do that when we're alone and we're suffering in some way. We still, we respond that by, by groaning or by sighing or by crying out and that's our nature. Now, what, what our sages are teaching us over here by including this as one of the one of the ten methods of prayer is that they're they're saying God heard their groaning um, because they they directed it at God. So even though it's not expressed explicitly in the verse, but the sages are coming along and saying, but it's, it, it's not just that they were groaning, but they took that emotion, they took that suffering, they took that natural response, and they directed it towards, towards God. And, he's, and he, Pinka says that this is a good lesson in general, really, that we often, there's so many things that we do that are natural um, and even necessary just for survival but we can channel them in a certain direction and elevate them. So for example, we have to, we have to earn a living. Now, most people earn their living by doing something for other people, ultimately, right? That's, that's why somebody ends up getting paid. In some way, we are servicing other people, almost every single, uh, every single job. So a person can do it just for, the money, which is why most people go to work because they want to earn a living. They want to be able to eat. But he says, you, you can leave it at that or you can, you can take it a step further and say, listen, I'm doing this anyways. I may as well think about and, 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 and sort of have the kavana, the thought, the intent that I'm also, it's a great opportunity to help people. It's a great opportunity to do kindness for others. And a lot of us, do, you know, some people do that in their, in their work, but some people don't. They don't always think about that. 
or the, the, that's not the reason why they do it. So even if ultimately the bottom line reason is the bottom line is to, to be able to, to, to put food on the table, but we can also at the same time sort of take advantage of it and, and, and turn it into a mitzvah, have the right, the right intent and, and do it for others. So the same thing he says over here, God instilled within us a natural response mechanism, which is that when we are suffering, when we're in pain, we, we sigh and we groan and we cry. But what the sages are teaching us here is that we can channel that in the, towards God and, and we can turn that into a very powerful prayer, right? So many people, you know, it doesn't matter if you believe in God or not, you cry when, when, when you're in pain, right? So, so that's natural. But what if we take that as people who do believe in God and people who, who, who believe in prayer and we turn it into a prayer, we, we, instead of just, just sighing or just moaning, every time we, we have that, that reaction, direct it towards God and say, you know, Oye, please help me, right? So that, 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 that is, a, is a game changer. He, he mentions a story about the, one of the Rosh Yeshivas, the head of a yeshiva in pre-war Europe. His name was Rebaruch Ber Leibowitz, and he was the Rosh Yeshiva, the, the dean of the yeshiva in, in Kamenetz, I believe. And, uh, and when he was a young boy, he did something wrong. He got in trouble with his father, and his father gave him a little spanking, as they used to do in the good old days. And, uh, and he started to cry. And in the middle of crying, he went to pray Mincha, this boy. And his father said, his father asked him after, he said, why did you, you know, why did you go and, and right now and, and go and pray? So he said, because I was crying anyways, I may as well take that crying and apply it to my prayers. This was a, a boy who was young enough to be spanked. I don't know how old he was, but you can understand why such a person would grow up to be, you know, who he was. So, uh, so Rev Pinka says, he says, it's tremendous. He says, it's a tremendous, um, it's a tremendous trait to, to apply for ourselves that we not waste a tear. Don't waste it. If it cries, if, if somebody sheds a tear and it just falls to the ground and just sits there doing nothing, then it, it's a waste. There's so much in that tear that, that, that it can be used for. There's so much in those those in, in, in all that crying and all that sighing and all that difficulty that could be channeled towards something actually that's that's tremendous, that's great. And he quotes the Talmud says that the that again on a certain level, we don't know what this means exactly, but the gates of prayer are closed, but the gates of tears are not closed. So so on some level, the tears are 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 more effective, much more effective than, than prayer on its own. So he says, you have these tears, you don't waste them. You don't waste them, channel them for something good. And, and he, he, he writes like he does actually uh, frequently in, in the book is that it's all about becoming accustomed to doing this. Whatever, all, all the different types of prayer really that he talks about, he says, he, he, he says something like this. You know, we have to, it's what we train ourselves in. And if we can train ourselves that when we experience suffering, we experience pain and we, we cry or we sigh or we groan or whatever our reaction is, 
don't we if we don't just sigh and groan and cry, but we actually turn that into into a prayer, um, then that could be that could be very powerful. So that's a practical um, practical idea for to, to take away in terms of applying our, 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 our difficult, taking our difficult situations, our tears our, our, and, and our groans and turning it into a very powerful prayer. Okay, to close and to take us into the summer, just a beautiful story I came across. Um, there was a fellow and his name was Levy. And Levy was, is for all I know, just an average uh, regular, seems to be a regular, a regular Jew. Um, Apparently he lives or lived in Muncie in New York. And, but there was one thing that he wasn't average at and that was prayer, davening. He didn't seem in general like a super spiritual person. He had a regular job, did things regular like everybody else. And, uh, but when he would come to shul, when he would go to the synagogue and pray, all of a sudden there was incredible emotion he had a tremendous ability to concentrate on his prayers and, and he, he would pray with great intensity. Now, the people who, who, who prayed in his shul, they took it for granted. They knew, you know, Levi, yeah, he's a good davener. He, 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 he's, uh, he has great concentration, great intensity. And, and they just kind of, you know, took it, took it for granted that, that, that this is what he did. But there was once a guest visiting their shul and he noticed the intensity that this, this lady prayed with. And he was very curious about it. You know, to see someone consistently praying with fervor and intensity, it's not, it's not something you see every day. So he asked some, some of the other people in the shul if they knew why and how he, he prayed so hard. So um, they didn't know. They didn't really have an answer. So one, so, so finally he decided he was gonna ask Levy himself. And, and Levy smiled shyly and his answer was tremendously simple, but, uh, but very meaningful. And he said, it's nothing to do with me. It comes from my mother. So what did he mean? Now, you could have had the end of the story be, well, my mother always prayed with great intensity. And I'm sure there's lots of stories like that too. You know, someone watched their mother pray, how their mother prayed, and that's how, and that's how they learned to pray. But that wasn't the story. He said that when I was a little boy, six or seven years old, my, my house was always immaculate. Everything was always exactly where it should be, spotless, my mother was type A, everything was exactly where it should be and uh, never out of place. We came home, take off our shoes, hang up our coat, no food outside the kitchen or dining room. And one day my mother called me into the dining room and she said she wanted me to come for a minute. And I walk in and I notice that there's a beautiful tablecloth on the table. And in the middle of the table is a pitcher of water and it's filled to the brim. And I realized that it, 
a tiny movement to the table and that water was going to overflow all over. And I looked at my mother and I wondered what she wanted. And she said, push the table. So I surprised the baby says, I, I didn't know what was going on. I think thought she was playing tricks on me. This was, you know, my immaculate mother, the one who, who kept everything, everything perfect in the house. And now she, wa she was asking me to spill water all over the table and the floor. She was so careful normally, it, it didn't make any sense. But she, she said, she prodded me and said, push. So I pushed it very lightly and nothing spilled. So she said, give it a shove, give it a hard push. So, and she was speaking more forcefully and so I listened and I gave the table a big shove and a little bit of water started to spill over. And she said, push it harder. So finally, Levy realizing that he, he had to do this, he gave the table a big shove and the water went flying out of this pitcher and all over the tablecloth, all over the floor of the, of the dining room. And he was only six or seven. And now he thought he had disappointed his mother. You know, he had made a mess and he started to cry. And his mother apparently also started to cry. And she said the following to him. She said, my dear lady, she said, God, Hashem is like this pitcher. She said, he's filled with mercy to the brim. He's just waiting for us to give a good shake when we pray. Just give a good chuckle and show our desire that we want to connect with him. And with that one good shake, one good shuckle, Hashem's mercy will overflow onto, onto us and into our lives. So he said, from that day on, I knew how to pray. And I was able to pray with intensity, knowing that just a little extra shake can bring about God's mercy. That was the story. And hopefully that will carry us through the summer and inspire our prayers throughout the summer. Beautiful, right. beautiful, beautiful.